Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Good morning, Tom. How are you Good today? Good morning. I'm great. How about you? I'm fine. Your two empty desks behind you? Yes. Yep. I don't know. I still <laughs> want to know how you use them all. That's that's a thing with me. Yeah. There's other, other users in the house that are not here right now. And I see that you don't have a car behind you. That graphics I have? have yes. There is a car picture behind you now. That's, there's, there's graphic changes. Oh. I don't see what you're looking at. But okay. <laughs> On your bulletin board, there's a car. <laughs> anyway, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right there. <laughs> yeah, right there. Yes. So yep. today we are joined by Stein. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Stein. Don't even it. try it. Man. No, don't. Like, don't just call no. me Stein Z. And uh, yeah, we're good. <laughs> I can't even pronounce my last name. It's Hordy Gordy Dordy Dordor. Just call me Bjork or so, something. So where are you located, Stein? Uh, so I'm located in sunny Reykjavik, Iceland. Uh, the sunny oh. part is a joke. Um, well, yeah, it's sunny uh, part of the year. It's complete sun, three months, half the year is complete sun, half the year is complete darkness. We are currently in the complete darkness phase. I have not seen my uh, wife and child in many, many months. Uh, <laughs> we just lose we just lose track of each other. We find each other in the summer. That's kind of how Icelanders roll these days. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, lo currently located in a black void provided by my corporate overloads, lords. Uh, by the way, the, the opinions expressed on this show are not, mine, not of my employer, da 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 da, da legal, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, so last time I was in Reykjavik, when was that? It's been a while, but last time I was in Reykjavik. Pre-COVID. Yeah, pre-COVID. Um, I don't know, I went shopping with this, that, and the other. I think I was there with Denise Donahue and some other folk. Um, and then before that, um, I was in Nook a couple of times, which is entertaining. It's a, uh, it's an unusual place. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my friends in Greenland, but, uh, <laughs> Greenland, yes. <laughs> oh, not so green. And now we'll do the classic Atlantic joke of Iceland is green and Greenland is icy. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Please be escorted. Please face the wall. Um, <laughs> Yes. Well, I think the weirdest thing I saw when I was in Greenland and Nook was there was actually a, a young lady wearing a bikini on the beach. And I thought, yeah. no, no. <laughs> Globalism has just reached every corner. But when an American <laughs> bikini is found I'm sorry, in Greenland, but it's just I'm sorry. not working. <laughs> I get cold thinking about it. <laughs> I know. Wow, it was terrible. But anyway. So today we are talking about one of the great evils of the world, network address translation. Of course, I say that facetiously because I actually don't think network address translation. It's better is than the alternative, Russ. It's better than the alternative. <laughs> I got, now I got the V6 crowd after me. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a I have a BGP V6 AS at my home. Okay, I have. You can look me up on Ripe. You can find my house. Okay, <laughs> I am full in V6, but. I need some of those guys to calm down, okay? <laughs> that is not that bad, you know. I'm sorry. So talk to me uh, about how you got into this NAT stuff. What, what's going well, on it? Well, uh, it started off as, uh, you know, 
well, a long time ago, I uh, I was a young man working in an IT desk, and uh, then the network dudes looked like really cool chaps. So I decided, hey, I'm gonna go spend three years and become a CCIE. So I did that. And at the end of that, I realized I still don't really know anything. So I went to university and uh, I still don't know anything, but uh, I needed a project, a final project. And uh, well, one thing led to another and I got some corporate sponsorship, that sort of thing. And I came down on a project uh, that uh, was dreamt up. We were sitting in the coffee. We were sitting in the coffee lounge, me and a friend of mine uh, who was an admin at the in the Linux department, uh, you know, the system services. And he was complaining about, you know, generally... Uh, how when he gets a client uh, request or a ticket of some kind, you're, you're going to have the issue of, hey, where is the actual email server? Like, you know, you're going to get the low balancer address. God bless. Uh, you're going to have to go to Wiki, which is maybe out of date. Uh, you're really lucky. I mean, we do really good uh, here at the corporate overlords. We do really good uh, note keeping and everything is in proper shape. But in general, uh, as soon as you put something down in Wiki, it, and that's not live config. I mean, it just starts rotting immediately and it will not get updated. There's a chance of that. You know, we all, we've all been there, right? Cobwebs. We've gone to the docs. Yeah. Cobwebs immediately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, we started having a chat and we realized, you know, when you have a hundred fire, different hundred firewalls, 10 vendors, X thousand customers, all unique appliances, bunch of load balancers all over the place, as well as centrally hosted services. And you want to find out, you know, Outlook 27 dot blah, blah, dot uh, Ching Chong, whatever. Uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a nightmare uh, occasionally, unless you're doing, you know, uh, some sort of uh, NAT data collection that can be parsed and automatically updated. So I stand up and I go and scribble some stuff down. And I, you know, uh, we I created a, my, so my final project was, uh, it's called Hot Search. So host or uh, translation search. <laughs> uh, so now, Hot now Search. Before, now, before you yeah. continue, is it GDPR compliant? There's no GDP information. Actually, I had to go through legal. So I, even, I had to check the comments, man. Make sure that nothing in the comments that I'm parsing, you know, any in the, anything in the comments is uh, well, I mean, very I dangerous. GDPR, GDPR does cover IP addresses. So net it does cover IP addresses. But yes. then again, we're lucky. Uh, like, I got completely derailed. So it never went into production. It hasn't gone into production yet. So... <laughs> Because another another team's probably going to steal it and take like half of it, and then the rest is getting thrown away. So, like the main goal, of course, was so that I could graduate, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Uh, so, <laughs> that's always a good thing. But uh, you know, well, when you have an MSP organization, I mean, uh, you know, giving access everyone access to the fire direct access to the firewalls is of course lunacy, and keeping everything updated in Wiki is kind of a nightmare. And, uh, you know, then things change, you know, they move this server, they don't update that, stuff happens, we live life, we're human, we're flawed. Uh, but then you want something that periodically, you know, scrapes all your devices, parses it into a uniform format. So you want to, you know, you want to take vendor config from vendor A, vendor B, vendor C, you want to create a unified context that handles both, you know, source NAT, test NAT, uh, load balancing, round robins, you know, breaks that out, uh, create virtual firewall context versus physical fire, yada, 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 yada. So I got to spend a couple of months on that. And you make this unified model that uh, you can search and figure out, you know, uh, and then you do add DNS re backwards resolution. And, you know, I had to stop feature crib at some point. But anyway, you d dump in the public address, you find the server, 
that's kind of the main idea, right? You know, it's not rocket science, uh, but getting it to be multi-vendor and not do a lot, you know, I didn't want to do anything else. That was kind of the main idea for that project. So that's how I got really into NAT. So uh, that's kind of uh, led into uh, my thesis professor being like, yeah, yeah, it's great, 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 great. Uh, you got any more meat on this thing? So the option was write a really detailed description of NAT didn't really feel like doing that. So I just said, hey, how about I make a history of NAT section? So, you know, for my thesis, I made it, you know, I put on my detective hat, sat down, went through the RFCs, all the interviews, and all the propaganda that's on the internet. Because, you know, if you Google who invented NAT, you are going to get some wrong answers. But, uh, you know, you, you got your classic, uh, what is it? RFC 76, uh, it would be RFC 76, uh, 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 so there's like the classic RFC uh, 1516. We got like, we could quote RFCs all day, but basically like there's a series of, there's the art. So if we want to go directly into the history thing, uh, the RFC, so there's two sides to the NAT story. There is the enterprise uh, actual business thing that actually launched NAT. So that's the story of John Mays uh, of uh, Cisco renowned creator of the PIX firewall that Cisco gobbled up uh, in the 90s. And then there's the story of Paul Francis, uh, who is our uh, lovable IETF. Uh, you know, if you want to think, it's like the scientist and the actual, you know, uh, it's kind of a Thomas Edison Tesla situation. We could make a movie about this. This would be a really good one. Anyway, he they they come at it from a completely different gotta angle. The creation name. of NAT. Yeah, gotta have a good name. <laughs> but uh, you know, Paul Francis coins the term NAT and is working at Bell Labs uh, with some lovely people. You know, it starts as an internal memo, then it becomes an RFC, and then you know, there's a bunch of docs, and we could rattle on about that all day, or we could just link to the paper if someone's really interested. But the Paul Francis story, you know, he's pushing that as a way to avoid the address depletion issue, which is, you know, it's a real issue, but turns out nobody really cared about it except people at the IETF and, you know, the RFC community. Uh, everyone else just wanted to connect to the internet. Now, the story also, an independent story, and John says that he was not aware of Paul Francis until the first version of the uh, what became known as the uh, PIX uh, was in development was, you know, it was just his internet exchange translator exchange box, right? Like a PBX uh, from the public bulletin board, you know, for the old ones. It's before my time. So, you know, I had to Google this stuff. Uh, so an internet exchange where you could get the uh, private IP addressing. Now, this is before RFC 1918, kids. There's no 10 network. There's no 192.168, buddy. This is just Wild West. People are using HP printer manuals and stealing address ideas from there and putting them on their network. And it's just the Wild West out there. So John Mays is located in California and he's doing his consultancy. And he goes to a company and uh, they uh, say that, oh yeah, we got this slash A, we got one slash 24 and we got one slash blah, blah, blah. Yeah, readdress our network, put in the firewall that they were selling at the time that did not have any NAT capabilities. So they were just selling a router firewall situation. Plop that box in. Do redo the network, spend the entire weekend just working like lunatics, and then they get a call from the ISP going, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, what do you mean? What <laughs> your your these addresses are from the HP printer manual. I can't let you I can't let you uh, advertise this. What what are you doing? So uh this like for people born after the wild years of the 90s and 80s, like for youngins like me. So if you're in your 30s, you did not experience this. Like it was the wild <laughs> west out there. People were doing like crazy. Okay. Are you saying something about how old we are? <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, 
you're closer to retirement than I am. That's all I'm going to say about it, buddy. But you know, I don't have 50 books under my belt, you know. So it, it, that comes with time. You know, you had to make a trade off. But it was the Wild West. People were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, you know, John Mace is uh, sitting in his tub. This is a fun story. He's sitting in his tub and he's thinking about it. And he gets this idea of just creating a translator book. So he calls up his buddy. And uh, yeah, just to note, like the reason why I had, uh, why we can attribute this entirely to John Mays, like independently of Paul, like I looked at the timelines, it looks really legit. Like he's coming at this from a, hey, my customers want to connect to the internet. This is the easiest way for me to connect to the internet is to do a translation and get a single a small prefix or a pool. This is before a uh, single address uh, port translation. We're just talking about NAP pools here, ladies and gentlemen. So the olden times. But uh, Paul Francis is coming from the other direction from the IETF realm trying to conserve addresses. Both, you know, it, they reach the same conclusion, but there's a practical business driver behind what John is doing. And of course, what Paul is doing is a uh, high, pretty high, you know, high future. He's looking into the future going, we're going to have an address depletion problem, you know. Uh, two different, you know, they converge on this technology, which we know is NAT. And uh, after, of course, the PIX it has uh, NAT capabilities, the RFC is right around the same time. Like uh, they did not influence each other uh, at pretty much at all. John says he wasn't aware, you know, when he had the first working software. And uh, what the reason why we can also attribute this pretty much to John Mays is that uh, he was he was working like a lunatic as a consultant during the day. Then during night, he was working on the code with this buddy of his who he was paying. So he funded the entire PIX thing you know, and uh, drove that entire project. So it's really nice. Like, you don't hear these stories anymore. Like the lone guy, you know, one or two people getting something done and really making an impact, right? You know, this is kind of rare nowadays. So it's, uh, yeah, that's kind of the story. Like, that's a super short version. And then, you know, we get into the Cisco acquisition and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But, you know. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So this all just came out of a consulting job, basically. Yeah. Which For, is... yeah. Well, problems with a with a consulting job, basically. De yeah, dealing with customers, seeing what their needs are, which is kind of what they teach us. Like what they spent so much time teaching us in software engineering was, you know, you got to interview the customer, you know, do iteration, you know, no waterfall is bad. Da, da, da. Like he was doing a version of very scrummy stuff. Like he was directly interviewing with customers, doing pocs, you know, getting feedback, you know. Uh, we could get later maybe into the details of, you know, why not is bad. Oh, leaky abstractions, layers. Oh, FTP broke. Oh, me so sad. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the bad stuff that happened, Nat did was because FTP was, uh, yeah, you know, having the IP address in the freaking uh, data in, yeah, in that that's, header. That's is, uh, it's not cool. Out. It's not cool, you know. Yeah. So a bunch of stuff broke and we have the internet, like, what was the alternative to NAT? You know, you say it facetiously, but there are a bunch of people who actually think that, oh, NAT is the greatest e-build in the world. No, like uh, spanning tree is really great. Uh, NAT is good. You wouldn't have any of this stuff that you take for granted without these technologies. Stop hating on it. And uh, VTP, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get on the real hot seat. I'm going to say VTP version three, really good stuff. Really good stuff at the time. You're supposed to set a password so the switches don't, you know, it doesn't all go to, go to you know, uh, you don't have the, like they always sell you this old example. Oh, if, what if somebody brings an old Cisco switch and plugs it into the network? It becomes root of spending. Blah, 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 blah. Put a password on the VTP. Jesus, uh, it's pretty good, you know, not today, but, you know, in the last 20 years, VTP was pretty good, you know? So there's a bunch of technologies that people like to hate on, 
That well, is, think, uh, you know, it's not fair. <laughs> I, I think some interesting principles that come out of Nat, um, one of them, and I think this is always true, even though we try to ignore it, sometimes a solution is going to cause, almost all the time, solving one problem is going to create other problems. And I think I think that almost always happens. It's just that we can't see it at the time. And so we sort of choose to ignore it. That's certainly what happened with Nat. Other 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 protocols like FTP who made bad assumptions or not bad assumptions made assumptions that that had uh, kind of stack layer violations in them were broken by Nat. But other problems, bigger problems, were solved. And it, you know, looking back on it, um, you know, we would not have what we have today without Nat. And so, I mean, global inter- interconnection would not have happened. And so, I think it's pretty easy to argue that yeah, it created other problems, but um, I don't think anybody would would say that we shouldn't have done it at the time. Um, you know, maybe, I, well, probably some people would, but it, it's, you know, the solving people this problem. People did, yes. <laughs> solving this problem created others, but it also created huge opportunities. And, and I, think that's a, I think that's a principle in any solution that you, fun, that you come up with. Yes. Um, and then another one I think is that the, the scope of the problem is almost, almost always larger than you originally think it is. But there's still value. Like you think you're solving this problem, but it's actually this. And you solve this, and then you realize you have to grow it to kind of capture all these other things. But the fact that you solved a part of it is is good, and it shouldn't keep you from waiting until you've grasped the entire problem space. Those those are some lessons that I take out of it. I don't. Know, what what do you guys think? Yeah, I th- I think so. I mean, I think you you've got to deal with what's with what's there. I mean, you you. We tend to do this in our world where we want to make things where we don't, we, I don't know, we just, we, we tend to do this in our world where we take everything out of its original context and say, oh, it should be perfect by today's standards. Guess what? Which it, classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't, they didn't have today's standards I mean, back then. You know, I'm sorry, but they did. And I don't know how to fix that. Right. <laughs> yeah. For, you know, for the listener who's driving in their car right now, uh, pay attention to the road. Uh, but uh, like just to go high level, like there's a reason why we have a 32 bit address scheme and, you know, not the 48 or 128. Like we had 32 bit CPUs, like the end of story. No, we need to be able to load it into an address registry. And I'm sorry, like uh, 32 bit, that's what you're working with. Like, and when you do, it doesn't need a lot of math to figure out that we're going to blow up on the devices real quick. You know, that's why they had the, they knew about the problems in the IT, like they knew about all these issues, like the address depletion issue. Since the eight, like late 80s, they were like, oh God, we uh we are in trouble if this internet really turns out to be as popular as we think it's gonna be. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, that's why we had the third two pieces, like the alternative to NAT would have been extending the address space. Uh, which is just lunacy at the time and breaking all the existing infrastructure. Get out of here. You know, don't even don't even open your mouth. I'm sorry. Uh, then, you know, it was extend the address space or do not like they're really that, those were the only two things that really uh, we had an option of doing and extending the space would br- br- broken in existing implementation. So just like spanning tree was built on top of the, you know, bridging architecture of the time, you just add that thing on top. That ho- that's how you avoid loops. You don't interact directly with the protocol. Except NAT, of course, interacts directly with everything that it touches. But, you know, you have to build on top of what's already there. You don't get to sit back and go, oh, but if only they'd use an extra bit, ah, I would have saved everyone a lot of time. Uh, you know, 
But uh, then again, there's another, uh, just, you know, if we can rail on a group of people real quick, uh, it's the IPv4 reclamation people. These are, you know, I would never suggest uh, any sort of re-education, forced re-education camp for any sort of group of people. Of course, I never would <laughs> dream to, you know, say that somebody should be humanely euthanized. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they need a strong talking to the people who want to reclaim the 120, the 127-8, like... Uh, we need to have a talk. Like there are people out there that want to, you know, limit the loop back to one twenty seven zero zero, you know, slash uh, slash twenty four, and reclaim the rest of the addresses. It's like, what kind of a bubble are you living in? Where people this seems like a good idea. Twenty seven addresses all over the place for all sorts of loopbacks. Uh, you have it's no been, idea it's, what's yeah. deployed. And you won't be able to do transit. You'll have brick everything that's already on the internet because it's a bogon. It's going to be a bogon address because, you know, when it comes in anywhere, just, there are so many reasons why you would never. You, it, takes, it takes years to deep bogon address space. People don't yeah, understand. I, it they will never freaking happen. Like you, any service. And then, oh, the regional IP people. Don't get me started on the regional IP people. They want to reclaim like address space and make it local to Africa, Asia. The, and, uh, you know, these are, these are usually some crypto dudes oh, well, like. Uh, well, come I, on. I mean, I like, this is the original classless or classful addressing hey, idea, right? That's yeah, what it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Like, you didn't work out, 11 slash <laughs> 8 to the US or North America. And, you know, you'd have to assign 12 slash 8 to Iceland because yeah, there's so many. Yeah, yeah. But they want to reuse it. <laughs> no, they want to use the regional thing, like the same slash 8 in the US only routable inside of the US and then they want to use it only routable inside of the USSR yeah, exactly. or whatever. The, yes, yeah, These that's... are crazy people and they need to be forcefully re-educated. I'm not saying that. I, I apologize. But, you know, like this is, there's always some crypto, uh, crypto bros and, uh, you know, that come up with this type of stuff. Well, and... But a lot of this comes down to that problem right there, mm -hmm. that we want to substitute the ID of a device for an IP mm -hmm. address. And it mm -hmm. was never, ever, the IP address was never designed to, 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 to identify problem, social device. security, social security numbers all over again. Like yeah, no, it, was it, it was never supposed never to designed for that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like I'm writing this whole book now for the, for one of the new Cisco certifications and I'm writing in a section about what does an IP address actually describe? It describes an interface. That's it. And it may not even be a real interface, honestly. It could be a virtual right. interface. It's 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 a point of contact. That's all it is. It's a topological no, definitely location. A virtual it's definitely a virtual <laughs> yeah. interface. It's definitely a lowbound. It's something. It's not <laughs> yeah. a physical address. I guarantee you, like if you flip a coin, you're not gonna get a physical interface. Like it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it, and beyond that, it's a topological location, right? That's it. It's a, it's not even it's it's like it's like, I don't know, it's like a physical address in the real world and saying, well, if it's not 128 Shady Wood Court, then that person's not really Russ because they're not there. I like, mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> this touches on like the whole, uh, you know, spiel of zero trust security. I don't even know. Like half the time, I don't know what zero trust security means nowadays, depending on who's hawking it. But, uh, you know, this idea that you can tie an IP address or some, you know, something you have to something you are is, of course, lunacy and always was, you know, creating the uh, the uh, safe 
closed enterprise network where you, you know, because I'm on this IP address, I should have unrestricted access to service A, B, and C is, of course, a little bit crazy, you know, uh, and yeah, no well. way to verify that identity. Ent- uh, identity. But, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, this whole identity topological order. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But I mean, that goes to the root of the NAT problem, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in reality, it's not even NAT. Well, it's really PAT that we're talking about. You yeah. don't differentiate between the two. Right. It's really pat. It's port address translation. It's using all those port numbers as an extension to the IP address space, right? Mm-hmm. Which was a serious proposal for many years to just mm-hmm. consume some of the port, some of the ephemeral port space, and just make it part of the IP address space. Um, yep. Never went anywhere because for reasons, Lossy. right? It was it was it was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and now we go the opposite direction. By the way, we have so much address space in V six that there are actually operators out there who are using, since a host gets a slash 64, mm-hmm. you actually have a slash 64's worth of address space to play with. So I can actually the 64, pull baby. Ports. Yeah, I can pull ports into my address space. Mm-hmm. And I can actually do, I can do other things like I can advertise, a host can advertise two or three addresses that are within the slash 64 and and have them route differently through the network. So I get poor mm-hmm. man segment routing mm-hmm. without um, or traffic steering without having to do anything other than have more routes in my routing table. And those are mm-hmm. all cool ideas, by the way. I'm not saying those are wrong things. Nothing I'm wrong just saying that. that they're, you know, it's it's what you do it's, when you got what you got. Case. And you, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, you, what else are you going to do? But I mean, it, it does give a big lie to the whole idea that the IP address is some sort of sacrosanct thing, like it's out there. Oh, it, it's oh, you know, I have my own personal IP address, and it's I'm my always, slash thirty-two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are many like it, but this one is unique. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I always love it when I'm watching those cop procedural shows, and one of the cops says to the other cops, "We have identified the IP address. It's from the Miami area." And, Let me and, build you a visual basic GUI to track the uh, criminal. <laughs> yeah. like, this IP address originates in the Miami area, and the killer's from Miami, so we think this might be him. Good job, right. everyone. Good luck getting yeah. a warrant on that. No. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> it just but, uh, doesn't work that way. It's really like, yeah, right, okay, whatever. I'm in Boston looking at IP addresses, and I can tell which ones were assigned in, in Miami. No. But, uh, <laughs> no, that doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, then again, you know, this might uh, lead to my ignorance, but you know how you bind ports like classically, you have a server, you're on a Unix box, you know, you bind up, you bind port 80, only one process can listen to port 80, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, like little old me, uh, there's a, no reason for us to deplete the ephemeral space. I mean, you know, uh, a socket contains a source, a destination, a source port, a destination port, right? We should be able to multiplex the entire, like some stuff does this, where they multiplex the entire... You oh, know, bind be, 480 uh, on this IP address. And be, yeah, for this, yeah. Like, for when yeah. the session comes in, like that's how a lot of low balancers work and like that. I'm just wondering why we're still doing that in the uh, Unix realm. Like why I can't... Uh, why I can't recycle, like have use just one ephemeral well, port. I'm not saying you're supposed to use one ephemeral port. Yeah, but, but you do, but you do, right? This is how this right? is how having multiple web servers works on a single Linux mm-hmm. box, right? You just put them in different namespaces and they each get their own IP address. 
And they well, all the cool kids eight. use a uh, level seven, uh, you know, application yeah. load balancer, nginx, yeah. and that type of stuff because we're cool like that. <laughs> and we have no idea how it works because we just fire up the Docker container and we're up and running. So it's great. So that's the extent yeah. of my education. <laughs> Thank you, prospective employers. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. So, so let's back up to the net, the history of net thing a little bit. So mm -hmm. the the there's two different streams here, and mm -hmm. the one stream was this guy who wrote the PIX code, which, by yeah, the way, was Paul Francis. Yeah, Paul Francis. Oh no, no, John John Mays is the that's Mr. PIX. So yeah. he's the cowboy millionaire retired in his 30s, firing guns, uh, living all over the world. Great guy, by the way. Uh, just you know, did the yeah, and, and he quit. He quit at a really good time. Like his friends are all billionaires now. He's just a millionaire and he's really happy. You know, that's a really nice success story. So yeah, yeah that's John Mays. Yeah. I really like to quit when I'm a millionaire, but that then I'll never quit. Yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. And then we have the Paul Francis dream, which is the IATF stream. And yes. uh, the guy who gets threatened because the anti-NAF people, you know, start to go after him because his name is on the RFCs. Uh, yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's a uh, current. Yeah. Which is interesting as well. Um, yeah. So following up when Cisco bought it, mm -hmm. it was five or 6,000 lines of code, 7,000 mm -hmm. lines of code total. The pits had handwritten, handcrafted. Yes, handcrafted code. Artisan. And, and actually, Cisco TAC engineers were not allowed to get access to that code for a very mm -hmm. long time um, because there was this fear that it was, you know, um, handcrafted to the point that you didn't want anybody changing it or, or giving it out or whatever. So when I got access to the code, I was actually pretty astounded at how simple the whole code base was. And then mm -hmm. they decided, oh, we're going to put it in the 7200. That was the first box that was going to get get that was the 7200. And by the way, that's because the, the 7200, not the CAT 7200, not all this modern stuff. No, no, the no, old no, no. 7200 was we're actually a I screamer, was a screamer of a box. It was yeah. like the fastest box Cisco made. It was like crazy fast, this thing, for processing packets. And, and the way it operated was it had, it had a big enough processor sitting in it that you could actually do a lot of stuff in, um, in, in interrupt context in the processor and do almost software-level switching at almost line rate. And We're it was like really, really fast, huh? For the kids at home, like we're not talking about a multi-threaded uh, environment here. We're talking about a big old monolith. You know, you got to pay a really big price when you yeah, want to interrupt that CPU. That's like right. This is classic. classic. Yes, yes, yes. That yes. dump truck that just keeps rolling. You know, <laughs> shout out to the people who maintain that stuff because yeah. I hear horror stories. Like, good job. Yeah. We're thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, but I mean, the seventy two hundred was a crazy box anyway because it used PCI buses for its backplane between the VIP cards. So, yes, I mean, literally just PCI chipsets, but it was a really mm -hmm. cool box. So we put it on the 7200 first because it was fastest. And basically, they just they had to rewrite it because it was handcrafted mm -hmm. for the pits mm -hmm. and that hardware. Like there was no mm -hmm. way to port that code. Um, mm -hmm. It was a total it was a total. We need to write a different version for the 7200 and for iOS. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of where it went inside Cisco. And then outside Cisco, you know, it became a thing in the ITF, like you said, about NAT versus V6. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, V6 what? became the anti-NAT. 
I mean, this is the same time as the OSI model was still like a, maybe a contender. Like, you know, we would have OSI style addressing. What, what are they even called? You know, the stuff we use in ISIS. Shout out to my CCAs CLN? out there. Yes, yeah, yeah, CLNS, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I love ISIS, man. I, I, I love, hey, it's it's OSPS smart uh, smarter <laughs> sister, you know. OSPF well. is this fun, easy, easy. Oh, I can't, no wait, we are going to get canceled. And OSPF is fun and easy <laughs> as a protocol. <laughs> and then ISIS is the smart is the uh, is the is the scholarly version where uh, things are very much uh, the same, but not today. I'll, uh, HR is walking in here. Oh dear. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, they want to talk about my jokes. Oh, guys, hey, HRs are here. They want to talk about my jokes. This is great. They really must be popular. See ya. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, I mean, you know that when, when OSPF was first being developed in the ITF, there were t shirts around that said IS minus IS equals zero. <laughs> that is some petty nerd shit right there. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Now, that is, uh, I run a small t-shirt memes, network meme store on the side, and I can tell you, uh, that is a, that is some tasty salt right there. <laughs> That's some Himalayan salt. And what's really funny about it is, in the long run, you know, OSPF is a complete disaster now with all of the types and the... Well, it's always, it's just single area OSP. Everybody wants single area yeah. unless they're an ISP. Well, I'm just and thinking they're not, like yeah. OSPF V3 and then, oh, well, let's put yep. V4 into OSPF V3. By the way, you need V6 things. transit yeah. only. So, That's you know, like, you can't use V4 transit because, you know, reasons. <laughs> uh, it's like crazy nice how complex it is now. And ISI still chugs along and it's still simple. It's just does that's it what sing? it does. It's does kind it of crazy, but yeah, you know. Yeah, so that's the story of protocols. But anyway, <laughs> so, so let's talk about why NAT is evil, why people think NAT is evil. And then I can, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at pushing back on that because I have a lot of counter arguments to some of the NAT is evil stuff. Um, I mean, I can, I, can, I can take the role of a actually, well, us here, we six implemented people, it will slow down the process by putting state into the network. Uh, you have slowed down my one by one millisecond or a line rate, uh, my uh, connection to uh, fine anime collective uh, videos. Uh, so yeah. therefore, it is bad. Like yeah, slow state down in the, the network. network. In the network. network. It's one of the big ones, right? That's a big yeah. one, right? The state in the network. All right. Which is, which, by the way, is true. There is state yeah, in the network. Yeah, it's true. They're right. They're, yeah, they're right. They're exactly right. I should also eat my vegetables, but I will have a candy bar. Like, you know, they're right. <laughs> I should be eating the vegetables. But I have candy, and I'm going to eat it. Uh, <laughs> but it I'm is, sorry. But it is, um, and it, but particularly with carrier grade now, it is true. Ooh. And it is true that it screws up your monitoring. That is That is true as well. But on the other hand, like you said in the very beginning, what else are you going to do when you're restricted to 32-bit processors? At the time it was invented, it was a good idea to do this thing. Now, people say, oh, it breaks protocols. No, I'm sorry. NAT doesn't break protocols. Protocols, protocols break protocols. Broke, <laughs> the, the protocols broke themselves. <laughs> I mean, this is the time when Yugoslavia was still a country. I mean, you know, this yeah. is uh, yeah. this, this is, is the like, era of... The I mean, first I, George I know, Bush. Yeah, I know the IPsec guys never imagined that you would have something like NAT, but mm -hmm. putting an IP address encrypted into your into your data portion of your packet 
It just seems like a bad idea. It just really does. I don't know. I mean, we're sitting here with, I'm sure at the time, these are like, we have to remember everyone at the time had a doctorate. Like the, the average network person involved in networking was a lot smarter than the average person today. Sorry, everyone. But, or you know, they had at least uh, more credentials. Let's just put it like that. Uh, and they, I'm sure they did not do anything, you know, malicious, but they had no, to move hard no, and fast. Yeah. So yeah. sitting here in the comfort of my void, I can go, <laughs> they put an IP address, such foolish mortals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, don't do that. But, you know, there's a reason why NAT became a thing, right? I mean, we need, you know, we needed to be able to, uh, well, you know, we need to have an IPsec tunnel, but we needed the host to be have dynamic addressing and sit behind that. I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. you know, exactly. shout out to my DMVPN people. And so then the other argument that's always used about NAT is, is that, is, is it or is it not a security thing? And people say, well, it's not. It's obfuscation. But it it's totally is, though. I mean, it depends on your definition of security. But exactly. this is the greatest, like, since manna from the gods, would you like to imagine the, the 90s if everyone could reach everyone on the internet? I want you to imagine we went with the V6 and everyone could reach anyone and all the misconfigurations we have in the world. And I'm looking at you, sysadmin. You know all of us. <laughs> Look deep inside. You're either going to do a misconfiguration today or tomorrow, past or present, you will screw up. I'm sorry, you're human. Uh, you do not want full reachability by default. We need a sensible default where we are stopped at some kind of boundary. Now, my sec people, I'm not saying that Nat, you know, you can skip a firewall. Like we're gonna need, we're gonna need safe firewalls for V6. I'm all, I love my firewalls. I'm not saying that. I'm saying as a default for the ISP router that's sitting in your grandma's house, it's a good thing that they can't reach your pacemaker directly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah, that's exactly. all I'm saying. Gra- yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I just remember, I remember when I was in the military, we had fail safe doors and they would either mm-hmm. fail closed or fail open, right? Mm-hmm. And so to me, for Nat, what Nat basically is, is it's a fail open door. That's all it mm-hmm. is. And does that make security perfect? No. I mean, it's nowhere near. That's not by itself security. It's just another element you can use to build a secure system. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just a thing, right? Like a fail-safe door. very low overhead, which is the main thing. Yeah. I mean, a yeah. fail closed door is not on its own an entire security system, right? Yeah, it's just you're going you're, you're gonna to need an armed guard to protect the yeah. plutonium reactor, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. Russ can just install this door and we're done. But let's say we all get hit by a bus tomorrow. It's a good thing we put the door in that kept yeah. at least, that kept the uh, the low tier out. I yeah, mean. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. And then we run into this whole thing about obscurity is not, is not security. Look, that came about because you don't want to hide crypto algorithms. Uh, but I mean, we don't, all roll, don't roll your own. secret keys. Right? I'm going to roll my own crypto. It's going to yeah. be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But we all obscure our private keys, right? If obscurity is not security, please publish your private keys. Right. I mean, right. I mean, That's... obscurity does not <laughs> equal security. Yes. But, you know, your attack, your plan should involve the people having the same information that you do yeah. without having access to the keys. That's the whole. Di- That's why That's I'm right. in favor. I'm going to get shot for this, but I'm in favor of no internal DNS entries existing at all. If your if your infrastructure is that weak that you can't put everything in a public DNS, yes, the attacker will get a bit of a roadmap. You should assume that it's a roadmap and you're not running an internal DNS and the internal DNS sucks, dude. So, you know, 
that, that's, I know I'm wrong. I know the use case is where I'm wrong, but you know where the use case is where I'm right. That's a dear listener. You don't, you put down the pen. You don't need to write the hate mail. I know what, <laughs> how crazy I sound. Now you're but, starting to sound like the, the, uh, uh Nat is not security. People. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, put everything in public DNS. Uh, don't trust them. Don't trust. I mean, at the end of the day, don't trust Nat to be sec- a security solution, but you know, it's, it's a nice to have. Put everything in public DNS. Assume that you've already been, like, if you have anything valuable that the, uh, uh, Canadian government wishes to access, wink, wink, another C government, uh, assume they're already in there and stealing your corporate secrets and focus on detection. Like that's kind of the, uh, you know, the, secu- the NAF part of the security, don't focus on the, per- focus on the perimeter, of course. You know what I'm saying when I say don't focus on the perimeter. Focus on detection. Like a couple of honeypots and watching for stuff that should not ever happen in your network is going to be a lot more, you know, it, basically it flips the equation, right? You know, when you're an attacker, you only have to win once. When you're a defender, you only have to fu- screw up uh, once. Uh, PG rating. Uh, the the thing scenario gets flipped. Soon as the attacker is inside your network, he only has to mess up once for you to start, you know, reduce that uh, on-prem time for the threat. So, you know, focus on detection is kind of, uh, you know, focus That's for scanning. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that I entirely agree with that, but yeah, of there's, there's something to be said. Yeah, there's, there's something to be said for saying, all right, we need to know what normal is and we need to know, we need to know like when things aren't normal. You know, leave now, some credentials out in your network on an open share drive, the administrator one, two, three count. And when somebody uses that account, thinking it's a domain admin, you know, you trigger something. You could do a couple of these things. Cuckoo's egg or something like that, where the guy took a set of car keys and he rattled them over the wire to <laughs> increase the error rate in the network to make the attacker <laughs> dwell in the network for longer to get there the data they were after. While they were there doing the trace on the wire, it was really cool. Like that's that's <laughs> absolutely like. You know. <laughs> well, but, you know, at this this day and age, I mean, they exfilled everything they wanted, and uh, now they're just you know now you just have some stuff sitting on your network as soon as they're done scanning, <laughs> and uh, it'll be activated later. Or you're part of DDoS network, mm-hmm. or you. In, uh. For for those young folk out there, sometimes. A fan in the waveguide is just the right solution. Sorry. There you go. go. Brute force is just sometimes the right solution. It just is. It's just there's not a more elegant solution than brute force. And that goes all the way back to NAT, right? NAT is a brute force solution for a problem. And sometimes you just got to have a brute force solution. Uh, There's just, you just can't get around it. I, I don't know how to solve it. There, there's something I think that is interesting philosophically about Nat. I think it all it provides a really important mechanism for uh, the human element of all this um, because it forces the conversation of w- where does state belong in the network. And yes. state is one of those things that if you have a bunch of people building a system, it's easy to not think about it or to stop thinking about it. Um, but it's always there. And it definitely is a huge, uh, you know, driver in in whatever you're designing. So one of the good things about NAT, I think, is it makes us kind of wake up to um, the reality of where's the state, and it makes us talk about it, and it brings out these, um, you know, really different viewpoints, and and kind of we provide back pressure against each other. Just philosophically, if we didn't have it, uh, it would be it would be uh, some of the some of the things like state that we deal with in our designs wouldn't come to the forefront of the conversation. So that's one useful function. And and I'll say this about state in the network. I don't think that there is a right answer, an absolute right answer to this question. Right. I think like anything else, when we get into absolutes, we're probably wrong. 
right? I mean, it, it's either, well, a lot of things. There, there are things I think you can be absolute about. State in the network is not one of them. It's like there is going to be a level of state that works in a given situation. And in other situations, the level of state might need, need to be different. I mean, one of my objections to new IP is that they're piling all the state into the network. And there are vendor products that do this as well. But vendors do it for a very particular reason. It causes you lock-in. I mean, that's, that's kind of... That's, on behalf yeah. of Lisp and uh, other uh, technologies, I'd like to thank you for choosing vendor A. Please enjoy <laughs> talking to that sales associate for the rest of your life. Uh, <laughs> looking yeah, at you, STSS... Yeah, we we hope you like the kind of gifts they bring you because that's uh, what you're getting uh, for Great coffee mugs. <laughs> but I mean, this question of state, just to recap, I remember when I started studying and sometimes when I would listen to Russ back in the day, I had to stop the podcast, go and Google a little bit. But just to recap, uh, uh, Russ is not talking just about data plane state. So when we talk about data traffic, having state in the network as in firewall, uh, stateful firewall openings, that sort of thing, keeping session information. He's also talking about control plane information. Yeah, where exactly. in fact, and this is just for the recap for the guy who's driving at home. He's focusing also on the fact that when you've pumped MAC addresses into V6, uh, using that, you know, to obfuscate it, da, 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 you're, you're putting a lot of state into the network as a whole. So not yes. just the NAT opening, not just the firewall, the entire end to end thing. You need data plane, you need control plane, and you need the quote unquote management plane, which is just those human monkeys. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. just all, to recap for our good, listeners. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so I think we beat this horse dead. I think that uh, <laughs> um, we can we can do another like we can go after the V six people. Oh, we've already gone over the extension. Yeah, the IPv four extension people, the crypto bros, V six people. We could do it. Like you need a couple of sections though. Like when I'm listening to a podcast, like you need the, an unpopular opinion section. Like the fine people. <laughs> we should do my, that actually. For my, yeah, yeah that's stolen a, from the fine people like at the every Go. Other month, the unpopular, yeah, the unpopular opinions. opinions. <laughs> yeah, that's stolen directly from the fine people at the Go podcast. So if you're a Go programmer, go listen to Go podcast. If you're not a Go programmer and you want to write something other than Python, uh, that actually you know you can run and scale. Uh, go over to Go. <laughs> Go talk to the Go people because the Go people are really cool. Uh, but the, they have a section on popular opinions. And that's where I would have put in the DNS thing. I've already done, said a lot of unpopular stuff with certain groups. And, uh, you know, we, you should also have a Twitter poll in advance. Like, uh, is it actually an unpopular opinion before talking about it on the show? Because I could just go here and say, you know what? We should all secure our networks and uh, do our best to watch out for state level actors and uh, blame the users everyone, or something like that. And it might not be an unpopular opinion. Like the, the, it's reversed. Like we used to blame the users for security problems. Now it's really hip and cool to say, we don't blame the users. You know, they, they, it's their job to click this or da, 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 da. it's like a 50 50 mix like we've got to educate our users but we also got to build yeah. systems that protect the users because they have to do their job at the end of the day to make money to pay for the it staff that's complaining about them like yeah. it's a yeah it's yeah. a circle of life yes every everybody who deals with financial information should give the offer of, of giving you the the option of having two email addresses in your system one to which they only email actual financial information and the other to which they, they email marketing crap, okay? <laughs> and, and, and the reason is, is because I actually want to have an inbox that's on a separate email address that's nothing but real financial information because then when I get an email from, from some bank that says dear comma at the beginning, I know it's a <laughs> scam because it's not even on the right email address, right? You're not even I mean, coming into the right place. 
quick uh, quick hint for everyone. Like uh, I did not know about this until like one or two years ago. If you're using Gmail or Google product, if you take your email address and you put a plus afterwards and then the service you're signing up for, you can split yep. stuff down. Like that mm-hmm. was a fun one. Like just, you know, get on that, yeah. kids. Yeah, it's an like, auto-filter type thing, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. If you use Fastmail, you can actually create um, uh, fake email addresses that automatically filter into your main email account as well. Sponsored by Fastmail. <laughs> They, anyway. they need to pay you for that. <laughs> yeah, they need to pay you for that. Cut that, okay. cut that. Well, we should wrap up because time's got to yep. drop. Um, so great having you on, Stein. We should have you on uh, again, thank- even uh, though we can't pronounce your last name, but it's okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll fix it for you, though. It, see see how hard it's going to be. Stein Urvar Bjarnarsson. Like, I don't even say the last part. Like, it's... So it's just Stein Z. So where can people find you? Where can people find you? I want to do my rest impression. I want to... So where can yeah. people find you? Well, they can find me over at bloggity, the blog that I do not maintain. <laughs> uh, like every guest at every podcast, it gives of a website. Like you're not, listen, if I want to f- find you, you know, it, the things in the show note, if you need to give me some hate mail, it's perfectly <laughs> fine. I'm on Twitter. Uh, again, my opinions are my own. My employer is a wonderful, wonderful employer and thank them very much for allowing me to use their recording studio for this. Uh, so... You know, cool. just uh, it's cool, man. Great, great. And Tom, well, Tom, Allen, um, right? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And the reason I don't have a blog is because it would just be unmaintained. So I'm just really doing <laughs> everyone. See, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a trendsetter. I'm a trendsetter, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Stein. We'll get you on in the future. I think this is a really interesting conversation, and we should think about this whole unpopular opinion idea. Wait, wait until the hate mail comes in before you invite me no, back. Okay? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't read hate mail. I don't really care. Whatever. It's a non-commercial podcast. I don't care. <laughs> oh, dear. oh, thank goodness. I mean, your sponsors would have gone left and right. Brought to you by an idiot. No. <laughs> so, thanks again, guys, and uh, thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and we'll catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.